This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I'm not going to lie, I've recorded the intro to this podcast more than a few times. Because I think today's podcast episode is one that really doesn't require much introduction. We're going to get right into the conversation with the guests that we have today. But because the conversation we're having is somewhat raw and very real and absolutely essential to have at this particular moment in human history. For a really long time, I thought that talking about race and racism was a bit taboo. Kind of like talking about money. It's gauche. We just don't do it. It never really occurred to me that not wanting to talk about race was actually something very privileged. That me not having to confront the realities of racism as a white woman was a gift more than anything else and was a privilege that I didn't even realize I had. Because every day, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who are black, indigenous, people of color, are confronting that reality and cannot ignore it cannot think of it as just something uncomfortable that they don't want to have to talk about or even experience, but that instead it's their reality. When I began to recognize that privilege, I can choose to not think about something because it's never affected me. Well, when we choose to not think about something and when we choose to not understand the reality of something that has not hurt us or has not affected us, then we can't actually help to fix what is a systemic and egregious problem within our country, within our culture, within our world. By choosing to think, I don't need to talk about that because it doesn't affect me, I'm actually ignoring an entire group of people who I'm called to love, who are made in God's image and likeness, who are worthy of dignity and respect of the same opportunities that I've been given to live a life to the full. You know, this conversation today is one that I was really, really grateful I got to have. I met Father Josh Johnson a few years ago at a youth conference, and Sister Josephine Garrett and I encountered one another in much the same way at a youth conference. Um, I remember joking with Father Josh for the first time, we're the same. And he kind of looked at me and I said, well, I'm the only woman and you're the only priest on the team. And he laughed and he went, oh, I thought you just meant you're the only woman and I'm the only black guy. I remember thinking then, I like him. He's honest. He's truthful. He's not afraid to say it just like it is. And you probably know his name. He's been very popular the past few weeks because Father Josh is unafraid to tell it like it is when it comes to the problem of systemic, institutional, and personal racism in our world today. Sister Josephine Garrett and I met in somewhat the similar way, again, at a youth conference in Dallas, Texas. She was emceeing. I'd flown in the night before. And when I walked up to her uh, to just introduce myself, she pulled me into a huge hug and she said, I know who you are and I'm so excited to work with you today. She was eminently kind and joyful, radiating the beauty that only a bride of Christ can. So as the moment that has happened in our culture has happened with the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd becoming the national conversation and a cry for justice going out around the world and rippling through the United States of America and through the church, 
I wanted to have a conversation with two people I trust and I know who I knew would be honest, who would call me out on my privilege, who would help me understand things, but also would tell me that I need to put in work myself, that they're not going to put the burden of education upon me, and that they would be unafraid to talk from their love of Jesus Christ first, because that's truly the way we fix these problems within our world. I do want to warn you at the top that the conversation we are having um, is honest and raw, is one in which Father Josh and Sister Josephine tell stories about experiences of racism that they've had as, as adults and as children. It's a little longer than some of our other podcast episodes we've had because it was a, a fruitful conversation that I was not going to cut off by any means. And this conversation is one that's going to challenge us. Every single one of us who listens to it, white, black, person of color, indigenous American, whoever we are and from whatever background we come, and wherever we might be in the process of understanding and working through systemic, institutional, and personal racism, this conversation is worth listening to. Because this conversation places before us the remarkable challenge and the incredible opportunity to work for justice in the body of Christ. To see one another as Christ sees us. And to love one another as the Lord commands and challenges us to. I would invite you to perhaps grab a sheet of paper if you have it and write down some of the book and podcast suggestions that Sister and Father both give, as well as some of the practical ideas that we talk through kind of in the latter third of the episode about how to actually fix some of these things within our schools, within our parishes, within our homes, within our communities and neighborhoods. Again, I'm so grateful that Sister and Father took the time on a Friday afternoon, just a, a few days before I frantically texted and emailed and said, I'd love to have you on our show, and I want to talk to you about this. And the both of them joked with me, oh, we would love to join you. Eminently generous these two are, and I'm, I'm grateful for that time that they've given, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation. This, of course, is part of our larger Ave Explores series on faith and action a series that is exploring the principles of Catholic social teaching, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. We have articles, we have other podcast interviews, we have videos, we have challenges and showcases and saint biographies all available to you at the Ave Maria Press website. You can sign up to receive this content straight into your email inbox every week and continue these conversations about putting our faith into action. Today, that conversation is about how to put our faith into action to end the scourge and egregious sin of racism in our world, racism in our hearts, racism even within our church. And so I hope you enjoyed this conversation with my dear friends, Father Joshua Johnson and Sister Josephine Garrett. Well, Father Josh, Sister Josephine, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having Thanks us. For having us. <laughs> so I'll start I with Sister say, Josephine. I TikTok, Father. Are you already recording, Katie? For the... I am, but I can, I, this is all going in because I think, okay. well, I mean, I'll start it at that point where I said welcome. Um, <laughs> so to, I, I want each of you to tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, what you do within the church. So Sister Josephine. Sure. I'm in Tyler, Texas, so the Diocese of Tyler. Uh, I'm a licensed professional counselor, so I have a couple of ministries for the counseling. Uh, one is, uh, we have a grade school here called St. Gregory, and I'm the school counselor. They didn't have a program before, so I'm actually kind of building a social-emotional learning program here. That's my job to kind of bring that 
bring that here. Um, and then I also serve in private practice with my supervisor. Um, and I'm a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth. So. That's awesome. And um, how did you arrive at that vocation? I mean, did you just wake up and say, I want to be a nun one day? Like, what, what did that look like? Gravy, like a whole other podcast for that. Because I grew up, <laughs> I grew up Baptist, so I had to become Catholic yeah. first, yeah. And then um, after going to Rome as a Catholic, like getting to be there, you know, at UD, we lived there. Um, when I was living there, I was Baptist. Got to go back later on and just being there, I came back and knew I had a gift that I needed to safeguard. So started to just kind of, intentionally grow in my faith and then arrived at this this invitation from Jesus uh, to be his spouse very surprised yes yeah, so <laughs> awesome well, you do surprised. great work thank you for thank being you. with us thank father you. Josh yeah I'm a pastor at Our Lady of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church in the Diocese of Baton Rouge I uh I do some podcasts with Ascension uh I have a podcast called Ask Father Josh wrote a couple books with them Broken and Blessed and Pocket Guide Adoration and I fell in love with Jesus Christ on June 26, 2004 at Steubenville South in Alexandria, Louisiana, Saturday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Uh, before Jesus Christ and Eucharistic Adoration, uh, like Sister Josephine. At that time, I wasn't practicing as a Catholic. I, I was baptized Catholic, confirmed, and then my plan was to leave the Catholic Church because I did not understand the teachings nor feel welcome. Um, and uh, I was invited by a friend of mine, uh, who she noticed that I wasn't sitting at the table. Um, and she was a white Catholic and, and she noticed that there were no black Catholics at the table. And so she was very intentional with inviting me to, to go with her to Steubenville. And I reluctantly went. And then that night and uh, Eucharistic Adoration, I fell in love with Jesus Christ and uh, perceived an invitation to become a priest, to discern the priesthood. And so that began the first few years of me really just dedicating a lot of time of intentional prayer um, to be with Jesus. And the more time I spent with him in scripture and in adoration, the more I fell in love with him and the more I fell in love with him, even though I still didn't want to be a priest, I said, I'll, I'll go to seminary because I love you and you fulfill me and I want to make you happy, Jesus. And so I went and became a priest. And that still is my passion is to make Jesus happy. Katie, my um, sister, I think that he reveals his heart to us in John 17 and he, he, allows us into that very intimate moment, the intimate conversation with his father and our father in John 17. And he says, Father, I desire that they may be one. Um, he wants unity. And all I want to do for the rest of my life is try my best to console the heart of Jesus and cultivate unity um, in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's that's what we're trying to do now. <laughs> I've been trying well, to do for a very long time. Yeah. I, um, I was at that Steubenville, Father. And sister and Stop. I went to the same college. Yeah, I was there. My grandparents used to volunteer. They were part of the prayer ministry at the Steubenville South. So I got to sneak in in that. In 2004, I was in high school. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we were in the same building. Sister yeah, and I went to the same college. This was, this was the Look Holy the Spirit works. knew this. Yeah. <laughs> now we were together all along. We were. When you, when you were talking about the way the young girl who invited you, I had such a strong desire to pray for her. Like, look at the fruit of an invitation. Yeah. Like just one little, hey, come up, come. Yeah. Well, let's pray oh, for her right now, sure. sister. Yeah, sister. <laughs> desire. Strong Please desire. go for it. That's what sister, her, name. Her, her, her name is Brandy. So sister, if you want to lead us in a prayer for Brandy. Yeah. yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Heavenly Father, you call us to open our hearts uh, to those around us, to see with your eyes and to love with your heart and to be ever more conformed 
um, and to the likeness of your son uh, through the sacraments. We give you thanks this day for Brandy and ask your particular blessing upon her, all of her loved ones. Uh, we give you thanks for her heart um, and the movements in her heart the day that she invited Father Josh to know Jesus more. Mm. Um, and so we just celebrate her today, Father, and may she be blessed mm. and know your love evermore. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Well, I mean, that, that's the perfect intro then into this conversation I want us to have, which um, our listeners know is, of course, about the human moment that I think not, our, not just our country, but our church is facing right now, which is, are we going to make the systemic and personal changes necessary to heal wounds that are hundreds of years old, that are consistently manifesting um, in horrific ways? that have finally woken up, and I'll speak on behalf of, of white people, that have finally seemed to wake up some white people to, wait a second, hang on, you've all been telling us this, but now I can see it because it's on camera, and this is not okay. It's not okay that I wasn't okay with it before, but I need to respond to this moment now. Um, and you said inviting and welcoming to the table, Father. And so can you, for me, both kind of give us a scaffolding approach? I'm a teacher at heart, so like scaffold the issue for me right? Racism is a loaded word yeah. and an evil atrocity. But so many different people come at it from so many different angles saying, well, I'm not racist or, well, I, I think racism is bad, but yet at the same time are not actually fighting to end it. So, so let's talk about that. And you both have the floor. Mm-hmm. So uh, racism, uh, I think that definitions are really important. Uh, and I think that we need to make distinctions between like racially, being racially prejudiced um, or discriminating against someone because of their race. So, and also like supporting and participating in institutional racism, which is the loaded word, I think. I think that's mm-hmm. the big loaded word of our, of our current generation. So I, just, I would like to take the opportunity to try to break that down, what that looks like. Um, I, I think a good definition of institutional racism is this, it is the ways in which practices, which are those unwritten rules, and policies, which are those written rules, accommodate and give access to white people in our country and um, alienate and discriminate and deny access to people of color, black and brown people um, in America. And uh, it's, it can be intentional or unintentional. Sometimes those rules were, were written by good white people who wanted to do good things, but it ended up having negative effects on people of color. And other times they were intentional. Uh, this country was founded on the legal system of, of the enslavement of African-Americans that lasted for well over 250 years. Uh, then uh, during the reconstruction years after slavery, black people were imprisoned for no other reason than because they were black and they were lynched and they were um, racially terrorized. Uh, and then the Jim Crow laws were put in place in this country that lasted well into the 20th century. Um, and, and then after Jim Crow, it's not like the people who tried to enforce Jim Crow during, during the Civil Rights Act, like they were like, oh, we've had a conversion because the Civil Rights Act happened. And we now believe that all black people are equal to white people and that they should all have equity the same way we experience it and that there should be no more redlining and there should be no more discrimination and there should, no. So they, they continue to try to perpetuate this division, this divide which is satanic, right? Because Jesus prayed for unity in the body of Christ. And so the devil wants disunity. Um, and, uh, and again, this is a, I, I say that this whole thing's a church issue. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that 
the problems between blacks and whites in America is not a societal issue, it's a church problem. He said, look at the most segregated time of the day and the week, it's Sunday at 11 o'clock a.m. It's because Christians have not come together to um, uh, really lean into each other to, to come up with the, the solutions found in Christ Jesus in the body of Christ the church. And so uh, practices and policies were then put in place uh, where people continue to discriminate uh, through these unwritten rules. Um, mm -hmm. And so those, those look like this, it looks like the, the swimming pool in Louisiana that continues to uh, be a white-only membership. And the way that they get away with that is they say, well, there's no rule that says it's whites only. It just happens to be only white. And they said, we will let a black person apply to be a member, but they just have happened to in, in their entire history never accept a black person who applied to be a member. Um, and it's the same thing that happens with our country clubs all over our nation, where many of our Catholic churches host events, our Catholic schools host fundraisers, um, and, and we had we had these fundraisers and events that some of these, some of these country clubs, not all of them are like this, but there are some in our country that do the same thing. It's a, it's a white only country club and the only black people there are the ones that work there and black people have applied and they've been denied access. And again, there's no written rule, but it's an unwritten practice. And that's something that Archbishop Hughes of New Orleans tackled during his episcopacy and the Archdiocese of New Orleans. He listened to black Catholics who lamented to him that they were being hurt because their parishes were having events at the country club. And, and so, and they couldn't be members. And so he wrote a pastoral letter against racism. It's a boss move. And when that letter came out, guess what the country club did? They changed their practice and they began to invite mm -hmm. black people to be members. And so uh, where the devil was fostering disunity in the body through that practice, the, the church stepped up and, and cultivated unity in the body. And the same thing applies for policies, those written rules, like Sister Josephine, you work in a Catholic school right now. There are many Catholic schools that have written rules that um, say this in their student body handbooks, they say that uh, no students can have braids. Uh, sister, as a black woman, uh, you know that black girls wear braids. And so some of our Catholic mm -hmm. schools discriminate against black girls and they have um, suspended them and given them detention and even kicked them out of their schools because they have braids. And so um, again, those rules may have been written by people who were intentionally trying to discriminate against blacks and sometimes maybe they weren't, but the bottom line is, is there are schools now that have become aware and, and they've rewritten those rules, thus cultivating unity in the body and drawing more African-Americans to Catholic schools near Jesus Christ and the Blessed Sacrament where vocations are fostered in, in, the, in the presence of the Lord, the Eucharist. And so um, that's like a brief kind of breakdown of how mm -hmm. institutional racism looks right now in our country. Uh, and, it, and it goes beyond that and that we can do that later, but that's one of the things I like to say. I think for me, Katie, it, like it's important for me, like Father, I agree with Father Joshua that racism is a, for, a specific form of prejudice, right? So we have all kinds of prejudices and racism is one that's race-based and then it becomes systemic and then it becomes discrimination when it's action. So my prejudice and my racism, all of that is about beliefs, thoughts, feelings. And when I'm acting, then I'm in in discrimination, okay, just to kind of give us terms. But even stepping back before that, before that I have to have biases and stereotypes, right? Like oversimplification, generalizations about groups of people. Um, and so I think it's important to even start that conversation too because to the points that Father Joshua was making, there has to be some awareness of what's going on. We have to be able to look around and see. And that requires identification of my biases, identification of my stereotypes, identifications of my prejudices, and identifications of racism. 
right? And so all of those things we're kind of being called to right now. It's a very like woke moment, you know? <laughs> there are parts of me that didn't want to get in the arena. Like I'm getting ready to go to 30 day retreat. I don't, you know, <laughs> but we have to get in the arena um, and contribute. And so um, I think those terms are going to be important as well particularly for people who are open, because you're right, that word racism can like kind of shut people down. But if we step back and it's like, well, what are your biases? What are your oversimplifications and overgeneralizations about groups of people that you have very little experience with? Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, what are your prejudices? And now how is that manifesting as racism? And how are you encouraging it in the system? in simple ways in the system and in more profound ways in the system when we're talking about education, financial system, when we're talking about housing, when we're talking about jobs. And so it's kind of born and goes up. And so I do think that scaffolding is really important. Yeah, I agree. I and I think too, one thing I also like to say, especially when I talk to white people, I'm like, I'm not saying you're racist, right? Um, and so I'm just, I'm inviting you to acknowledge that, that there's a problem that exists and that we can work together to reform these, these unjust um, systems that are in place and to also to examine our hearts and our minds to see, like Sister was saying, like, do I have any of those biases that I might not be aware of? Um, and you can help me as a member of the body of Christ, you can help me to see what I don't see. Because um, again, like when I, when I go speak in places, I'm like, why are there no black Catholics at this conference? Um, why are there no black Catholics in this Bible study? Why are there no black Catholics um, at the leadership table at this diocese that I'm in uh, speaking in or, or doing a mission in or at the parish I'm at? And, and, and sometimes they're like, wait, we, we don't see color. And I'm like, that's the biggest Stop insult. That now. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'm like and, and here's the biggest <laughs> problem. If you don't see color, then you don't see who's not at the table. So you need to see color so you can say, oh man, there are black people or brown people or whoever in my geographical boundaries and they're not at this table. So I need to see the color, just like I need to see gender to see who, what, what sex is not at this table. There's no woman that works in the chancery. Maybe we should go ask a woman to come and work, you know, like, so like to, to go outside and like see, to acknowledge the reality that God created me male and you female, you white and me black. And For like, so see, see that what God created, acknowledge it, um, and then we can begin to work together. But sometimes we like to live in these little bubbles where we act like it doesn't exist. For a reason. And I just want to add, excuse my vanity, but don't tell me that you don't see my color. I happen to like it. You know, <laughs> it's like, don't tell me you don't see it. So I just really want to encourage that. That's that melanin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sister, you got that melanin. I love that it. chocolate, chocolate. Yes. And I love it. Black and proud. Yeah, I happen to like it. I, I loved that campaign. Um, was it the Dove company or one of the, some skincare company did the, the black is beautiful, hashtag black is beautiful. And it was flooding social media and Twitter. I mean, this was a couple of years ago. Um, and I, it, it occurred to me that I did not follow very many black and brown people on social media. And so, and, and it was like that implicitly just has conditioned me to, I'm not seeing a lot of black and brown people on my screen, which is where I'm spending a lot of time, mm -hmm. which means I'm not thinking about my black and brown brothers and sisters or mm -hmm. friends. So then almost like when you walk into the Walgreens and it's the first black guy I've seen in a week, I, there is kind of a, I'm startled, which is not a good thing for me to be. Not because I'm scared, but because I haven't seen somebody that looks differently than me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and, I tell the story. And that could be a dress care though. Like even in your, like as a Catholic with the artwork in your home, 
like yes. to put up to put up the, like black images of holiness mm-hmm. in your home on your wall of saints or like next to your family pictures. That way, even I, I tell families, it's that way your your kids grow up seeing that my family lineage includes people who are black mm-hmm. and brown and indigenous and all over because we're all connected in Christ. It's like that's mm-hmm. that's your family member in heaven. Like Saint Joseph Mikita is, and that's your family member Saint Kateri, and that's your family member Saint Isaac Joe, whoever it is, you know. So I think it's really there's simple things that we could even do, just like putting up diverse artwork in our homes. I, I don't feel like I'm walking on eggshells with you two because we're friends, <laughs> but I know that a lot of white people are dealing with that right now of okay, well, do I just walk up to the first black person I see and say, I want to be your friend. I want to learn from you. Like we need to expand our communities and, and make that table bigger. So my question Mm -hmm. is how, and I say that knowing there is these, this bias and this prejudice and this discrimination that we need to confront. Maybe, maybe back up from the question of how, and I can ask you this, Sister Josephine, what were some ways that you experienced that discrimination um, I think hearing those stories are important for us. Like, what are some ways that that you were treated differently, and 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 how did that hurt? You know, I think for me, when you ask about the hurt, I'm going to start with the hurt first. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a counselor, they teach you like about your stuff coming up in your encounters with other people's pain, which it should, right? If we're all connected, then that kind of makes sense. You know, <laughs> your own stuff will come up, and you manage that. I can tell you now um, that as I have encountered particularly children who are dealing with racism or children who are the ones being racist, it's a, it's a trigger for me. And I have to be mindful as a clinician um, to kind of hold that space and then take care of myself after. Um, so I think the pain is greater than I even understood. And like, I'm discovering it more as I encounter it in ministry. Like I'm better understanding my own pain. I think the first time I was, I know the first time I was called the N-word, I was in third grade mm-hmm. and um, was a, you know, a young white boy who was in my grade two and I slapped him, I hit him. And um, I just, it was like almost like a reflex. And um, when I hit him, um, when I hit him, the PE teacher started to come towards me to discipline me, to take me to the office. And then I told her what he did and she said, oh, okay, sit down. And she took him to the office. <laughs> which I was, I was grateful for, um, you know, to see that, okay, I sense that that was wrong, but it is wrong. Um, as an adult, there was a promotion that I had worked hard for, had earned, um, and um, it was coming time to give out the promotions, and my boss called me in, and she said that her boss had come by and interviewed some people on the staff, and Although I had earned the promotion, um, because the last person that she was had promoted was black, they recommended that she at that time promote someone white to avoid unrest among her staff. Um, and so that's one as a child, that's an example as an adult. I think what's important for listeners, because those um, for me in the milieu that I grew up in, those really overt experiences were not often. I remember them, they're very painful, but they're not day-to-day. It's not the day-to-day. I think what's more the day-to-day is what I would call, as a clinician, we call it microaggressions. Little bitty stabs, (laughs) little bitty Mm -hmm. stabs related to the color of my skin, related to my ethnicity and my, my race that over the course of time are really damaging really damaging to the human person. And so I'm gonna give you some nonsensical examples that people probably aren't even aware of, right? 
sisters, we wear a lot of pantyhose, okay? <laughs> we have to use a lot of, a lot of hosiery. Yeah, part <laughs> of it. I go to the store, and you know, they call the type that matches your skin, they call it nude. Mm-hmm. When I go in the store, it's very hard for me to find this color. The whole wall is what the shades of white women's color. And then there may be one or two packages that might match this, uh, but not a lot of variations of this. I remember when it was time for prom, I didn't get to wear makeup until I was 18. And we're all like, we're going to the store to get makeup for prom. And everybody got their color and my color was not there. And so it's such a small thing, it's just makeup. But what is that saying, right? Like, well, what is it about me that all these other colors got to be here and my color's not here? And then I have to kind of go to a special place to find my color. And so those are examples of overt things and then covert things that are just embedded in our society. When I go to buy hair products, I have to go to a special place. I was at a store the other day, a long aisle of hair products, not a single product for this kind of hair. And so I just think like, those are the things I think that we have to start to look at and then ask, where did that come from? And then how is it showing up more overtly in our Mm -hmm. world? Mm -hmm. I, I remember walking into a, a grocery store one time in the hair aisle and asking my mom why there was almost like a not a partition but like there's a distinct like this is the white women product and these are the black women products and mm-hmm. I have very very thick thick hair and I <laughs> use mane and tail yeah um, and I remember referencing the mane and tail uh, I, I just made a joke where I was like I use shampoo that has a horse on the front of it because my hair is so thick at a conference and a young black girl came up to me afterwards and says I use the same shampoo. Nobody's ever talked about that before. I feel like we'd be best friends. And all of a sudden I was like, I just ministered to her in a way that I never would have imagined I had ministered. Like, because that had, and I never, it never occurred to me. She's never seen somebody that looks like her on stage at one of these. And that's really hard for her. And that's not something I would know how to process. So so sister, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Father Josh, I mean, I, I'm not asking you to unpack your wounds on a podcast by any means, but expose but, my stuff. Yeah. Yes, but but you know, you're you grew up in the South. Yeah, I mean, I, and I just want to start really quick with like not even the South. Like you and I, all three of us speak on the national speaking circuit level at conferences, um, and and even as like recent as like, and obviously like my primary responsibility is I'm a pastor, and this is my desire to be with my people. I consider it a privilege whenever I'm invited to speak in certain places and spaces to, to share a message that I think people aren't hearing. But also like you and I, Katie, are also on many boards um, that, that help to pick speakers and help to pick themes for conferences. And uh, there was one board room table that I was not sitting at that was deciding for a specific conference. And one of my friends was sitting at that, that, that table. My friend mentioned that they were all talking about like the theme and everything and and my friend said, oh, you know, Father Josh would be a great speaker on that topic. Um, now, let me preface this by saying I wasn't even available to go to this conference in the first place. But the, the chairperson for this particular board said, um, isn't he that black priest? We don't, we don't need another black priest for this. We've, our, our, our demographic we're trying to reach out to right now is, is Latinos. We need more Hispanics in the church. And so we don't need someone that's going to give us a black demographic. And this is a, it's a Catholic conference. Like this is like a Catholic group. And I was like, wow. Um, whenever I heard that it was, it was very disheartening. Um, Cause this is like a member of the body of Christ uh, 
this is a member of the body of Christ. This is a Catholic person, you know? So like that kind of stuff is like, it still happens. Like the people who are making decisions for some of these conferences um, have their own uh, stuff that they haven't dealt with. And they're, they're negatively affecting the, the, the whole body of Christ. As a pastor, I remember one of my parishioners told me after mass one day, um, as I was shaking hands, the person came up to me and said, thank you so much for all that you've done to bring our church back to life. Um, and I said, oh, you Praise God, you know, like this is all the Holy Spirit. And then the person leaned into me and whispered in my ear and said, um, but you better not bring the hood to our community and walked away. Mm-hmm. And this is like, I'm outside of my church right after mass and there's all these families around and this person like legitimately just like attacked me and how, but I'm the, I'm the priest, you know, like, so how do I even fraternally correct this person whenever I'm surrounded by a group of people, you know? So, um, even as a priest, it's really painful sometimes hanging out with people who go to church and who are going to adoration or praying their rosaries, uh, but then say some of the most hurtful things um, to me um, about either either black people or, or biracial people or whoever. It's just it's very hurtful. But um, yeah, and again, growing up in the South, it's very, very, very um, segregated in many ways. Um, my dad's black. My mom's white. And whenever they first started dating, they were walking in New Orleans one day holding hands and someone came in and broke them up because they didn't want to see a black man holding a white woman's hand. Uh, my dad was a cop. He's a big guy, football player. So he could have done a lot of damage to that first. But, but my mom calmed him down because like, she was like, look, this is just how it's going to be for us. Uh, whenever they first moved into our neighborhood, uh, someone wrote the N-word of my father's car, his police car. <laughs> um, the babysitter wouldn't watch my, my parents' kids because the babysitter did not want to watch kids of, of a couple that was biracial. Um, even, even in their old age, now my dad's in his 80s. Uh, he had cancer a number of years ago. And my mom, who's a nurse, took him to the pharmacy to get his, his medications. And they were sitting in the car and a woman called the cops on them. Or she actually went inside the store to the manager. She said that, so my dad was in the car my mom was in the car. He got the car to get his meds. They said it'd be a 20 minute wait. He came back to the car. And again, my dad at this point was in his seventies because he's in his eighties now. So my mom was in his sixties. And um, he came back to the car and said, look, it's a 20 minute wait. Do you want to go back to the house or you just want to wait? She said, let's just wait. So he got back in the car with her. A woman watched a black man get into a car with a white woman. So she walked inside the Walgreens and said, um, you need to call the cops. Um, there is uh, prostitution happening in your parking lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the manager came out and called the cops and said, y'all need to leave. And my parents are an old couple now. My dad was the captain of police. My mom was a well-respected registered nurse in, in Baton Rouge. And they were like, are you serious? And they're like, you have to go because you're doing what you're doing is, is bad. Um, that's just my parents, right? I've been called like sister the N-word, not just whenever I was a kid. I've been called the N-word in seminary by another seminary. Um, and I remember being in seminary one of the few blacks in seminary, just like sisters probably one of the few blacks in religious life in her community and not wanting to be seen by my formators as the angry black guy. And so for years I was just silent and I let stuff slide that like, if you knew me before seminary, you would be, you would be shocked because the old Josh, you know, like sister slapped old boy, like the old Josh would have like done a lot more damage. But I'm like, I was like, I cannot be known as the angry black guy for every time a professor or a seminarian or a priest says something that is so hurtful. And so I kept it all in and I didn't know I was keeping it in until my seventh year of seminary formation. Um, whenever it was the first time in my entire seminary formation, it took seven years being in seminary before an African-American priest was on faculty in the seminary. And in this Louisiana. priest 
And at, yeah, in Louisiana, for, for my seminary, I was at St. St. Ben's for four years and Notre Dame for four years. They, we had an African um, priest, but never African-American. And so we had an African-American come on staff and he took me out to dinner one night and I just unloaded on him. And I didn't know I was holding all this stuff inside. And he, he got it, you know, he got it. He was like, I know Josh, like I know. And I had no idea that for all those years I was holding all this pain inside um, even in, in my own community. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it, it's something, um, that is painful. It, it, yeah, just, uh, it's, it's real. And I just, I think that the, the reality is, is like, there are people in the Catholic church who do not see people of color as members of the body of Christ. When they look at us, they do not see the image of God. Um, and they don't see Jesus in us. And we know that because the way they treat us, uh, uh and the way that they don't listen to us, and when we try to share our story, the way they question our story, and they don't believe it, and they always try to make up an excuse, like, well, are you sure that happened? Are you sure you're not seeing it the wrong way? And so um, it, this, this has been an issue for hundreds of years, and many people in the church have, have, perpetuated, have perpetuated this unnecessary division, and it's broken the heart of Jesus and mine. <laughs> yeah. There's profound wisdom being shared and remarkable insight into their lived experiences. And, and again, I'm very grateful for Sister Josephine and Father Josh for taking the time to have this conversation. This, of course, uh, is part of our series on faith in action, setting our faith in action, living the Catholic social teachings of the church, caring about the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, um, all part of our Ave Explorers Faith in Action series. You can find all of the content over at AveMariaPress.com, including an article from Father Josh Johnson about his parish in St. Amant, Louisiana, as well as other content about serving um, those affected by homelessness, Catholic charities, the Sisters of Life, podcast episodes with other guests talking about social justice and practice. We're very proud of what we've created, and we hope that you take advantage of all of those resources and all of the content over at AveMariaPress.com. Hearing your stories, thank you for sharing. Um, I'm struck by, A, the perseverance to be put down and treated as less than repeatedly in big and small ways. It, it hurt. It's, it's throwing a rock at a window, and over time that window smashes, um, which I think is why there's been such a visceral response within the country right now, right? Um, if somebody repeatedly tells you I have a broken arm and we keep ignoring them at a certain point, we're going to rage about the broken arm because it hurts. Um, I want to now talk about the, the healing, both how we can foster it um, from places of privilege when we recognize that, okay, I have these biases, perhaps I've acted in this discriminatory way. I want to fix the problem now. Like I, I want to root that out of myself and I want to root that out of, of our systems. I want to talk about that healing. And I, I want to talk about a bit what you were saying, Father. You know, this, this hurts the body of Christ. This is a moral thing. If we want to be holy, we root out sin. Well, this is a sin that has to be removed in order to be a saint. It's, it's not enough for me to just say, I'm so sorry that that's happened. Systemically, from a place of privilege, uh, from a person's place of hurt, what do we do to, to change course, both in our country, knowing its history, within our church, knowing what this does to men and women 
to all men and women made in God's image and likeness. I, I just, I want to know how, not just how to help, but what's the fix here? Well, I first, uh, Kay, there's something that you said that I just can't leave because I think it's really important. I know you may not have a lot of Black listeners, but you may have a couple, and I just want them to hear this. It's so yeah. important to me because you said, like, what struck you in the story, I don't want to misquote you, but, like, what struck you was the perseverance, I think, maybe is the word you used. And so I think sometimes even a part of systemic racism is Black people being handed a narrative of victimhood. And so there's been a lot of victimization, but there's been a tremendous amount of like perseverance. And there's been a tremendous amount of like, when you think about people being able to accomplish raising families in some of the settings that were, that were, that were all that we had. So you think about people figuring out ways to, you know, acknowledge you are my spouse when they were told they can't marry. Um, and then, you know, educating children in environments where people are being lynched and raped and beaten and persevering and people educating themselves and people providing for their children. And so I wish, I really want um, more and more for that narrative to come out about the Black community, as well as how the Black community has been oppressed, as well as the experiences of victimization. Also the incredible history of perseverance and strength. Um, and I think it's so important that we teach that to our children and that we give them specific examples of people in this country who, who showed, who show that. And so that they know that that that's your story too. Mm -hmm. And so that those are things that you can have and that you can't hope for. Because I think sometimes um, we struggle with hoping. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing I would want to say. Another thing what I want to say about how do we fix this? Again, I also want to say like, when I think about myself, I have to, acknowledge my own hurt, right? So that it's not coming out in unhelpful ways. Um, and then as far as healing, I think the main thing about healing is being willing to open our eyes and bringing people to the table who can offer us viewpoints that will open our eyes. Um, just to be a counselor, just to be a counselor, counselors don't even wield deadly forces. Just to be a counselor, I had to go and sit down it was an assignment. I had to sit down with paper and observe two people for 20 minutes in a coffee shop and write down all of the assumptions that came to my mind about them. Mm. Just to come into awareness of like how much I assume about a person on site mm. um, because of all the life experiences that add up. Because we do that. As soon as we lay eyes on a person, we start pulling down the file. And then we act according to the file. And so um, I think that's a big part of healing is um, particularly where people have power, like where there's power, um, raising levels of awareness. So opening to that feedback, raising levels of awareness, and then changing policies little by little, like changing your business practices, changing your policies, like Father was mentioning. One country club changes its policy, um, but there has to be that one person that has the courage to just say, hey, did you notice this? Uh, I think it can be overwhelming because um, I think it's Thea Bowman who has that wonderful quote about being willing to be okay with her little part. Mm -hmm. Like that's why we get overwhelmed because we're not okay with our little part. Mm -hmm. um, and so we look at it and we think I have to fix the whole country. We don't, we have to do our little part. Mm -hmm. And then she goes on in that wonderful quote to say that because if we all light that candle, that's a tremendous light. Um, mm -hmm. It's a tremendous light. So Pray for us for sure, Sister Thea. Mm -hmm. I love that. We all have a small part to play in this very large 
picture. Um, Father Josh? Yeah, another sister I think that's important for the conversation is Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Uh, Mother Teresa said to her nuns one day that it's, it convicts me every time I read the letter. She said, I'm worried about you sisters. I'm worried that some of you still don't know Jesus. Mm. But after all this time, you still have not seen with your own eyes the way that he looks at you. You've not heard with your own ears the way that he speaks to you. And I, and I really do think that that's something for all of us in the church to at least be convicted by is, do I really know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? Have I seen his eyes? Have I heard his voice? Have I been convicted by his spirit? Because if, if we get to know Jesus, then the first thing that we will all be called to do together um, is to pray. Uh, prayer is what every single disciple of Jesus Christ is invited by the Holy Spirit to do. And from the time we spend in prayer, and it will look different for all of us, right? For some of us, our, our prayer would be prayers of repentance, which is biblical. In the Old Testament, Ezra and Daniel repented of things they had never done. They repented on behalf of their ancestors and their, and their people of their community. And so some people will be inspired to repent. Other people will be inspired to, uh, to intercede for, for members of the body of Christ for healing through rosaries and holy hours and masses and things like that. Other people will be inspired through their time in prayer to work for reparation, to make things right, to, re to repair, like ecclesiastical reparations, to look at the curriculums in our Catholic schools and to begin to ask the question, where's the black Catholic history? Why are we not talking about Sister Thea Bowman and Mother Amir DeLille and Mother Mary Lange and Father Augustus Tolton and Pierre Toussaint? Why are we not talking about these men and women who are radical disciples of Jesus Christ? Why are we not addressing in our Catholic education the reality of slavery and Jim Crow and its effects with redlining and so many other things that exist today? Why are we not having any of our kids read any literature that was written by people of color, black and brown people? Um, why are we not watching any movies depicting holiness as black and brown, as all colors, white, black, brown, and everything? Like, why is it in some of our Catholic schools that there's only one depiction um, of holiness? Uh, it, it looks like making things right in our churches by um, getting artwork that looks like you, Katie, and you, Sister Josephine, that looks like the body of Christ to begin to make sure that um, we have artwork that draws all people of all nations to the Eucharist. I believe the Eucharist is a source and summit of, of our faith, and it's, it's, it's the Eucharist that will, will give us the grace to, to be able to work together to find solutions to all these problems. But if everyone's not invited to the Eucharist, um, then that's not going to happen. And people aren't going to want to come to the Eucharist if they walk in our churches and see Satan depicted as a brown man and St. Michael depicted as a white man with blonde hair and blue eyes, stepping on a brown man, kneeling on the neck of a brown man. That's like the other day, literally at mass, when I went to Genuflect before the tabernacle, I always pray the St. Michael prayer at the end of mass because I believe in spiritual warfare. I've had encounters with the demonic. So I pray the St. Michael prayer. And as I genuflected praying the St. Michael prayer, I had an image of that statue of a white man stepping on a black man. And I just, I like literally like lost my breath for a second. I was like, this is not good. And so we will mm -hmm. begin to um, make change like that in our churches and our schools and our chanceries. When it comes to conferences, one of my good friends, uh, Dina Dow, um, she, when she, uh, we were hosting a conference here in my diocese and she told the, the organizers of the event, she said, you cannot come to my diocese unless you have um, a representation of the women in my diocese speaking at this conference. She said, I want to do work with y'all. I believe in your mission. I've seen your stuff. She said, but I want to see a person of color keynote this conference. 
And, uh, and she said, if you don't do that, we won't give you our money. You can't come here. And so they made it happen for the first time ever. This conference had a person of color as the keynote speaker, uh, rewriting policies um, in our student handbooks in our Catholic schools as well. But, but also all this happens whenever we first and foremost pray and then listen to members of the body of Christ who look different from us to get their perspective, to pass from speaking, to hear them. Um, and to not just hear them because we don't want to put all the weight on people like me and Sister Josephine but to do your own research and watch movies like the 13th um, that's on YouTube right now, read books like the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander uh, and, and articles like white fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And when I, when I give, when I promote these, these resources, I'm not saying I agree with everything that the people in the, the documentary of the 13th uh, proclaim. I don't agree with everything Robin D'Angelo says, nor do I agree with everything Michelle Alexander writes in the new Jim Crow. However, I do think that they provide us with enough good, good stuff and truth that we can, we can discern everything else from there. And then finally, we do pilgrimages all the time. I encourage people, if you're going to do a pilgrimage to the Marsh for Life in January, which we should do, um, and I, I do and I participate and I send people to it every year as well, um, then I think we should also do pilgrimages to places like the Equal Justice Initiative Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, that shows people, like it, it's a beautiful visual for all of us to see the reality of the history of this country from slavery to reconstruction, racial terrorism, Jim Crow, to the current prison system today. It, it connects everything mm. for us. And so um, I just, I encourage people, um, if, if we're praying, then, then we're gonna be inspired to do different things. Some people are gonna be inspired to be intercessors. Other people are gonna be inspired to, to post on social media, follow people, people of color on social media like you're doing right now, Katie. Um, some people are gonna be inspired to write, to write to their legislators, to lawmakers, um, to people who begin and uphold and write policies in our cities and states and country. Um, some people will be inspired to protest, to go out there in the streets um, like we do with March for Life every year, like Dorothy mm -hmm. Day, who's gonna be a saint hopefully one day soon. So there's a number of things that we could do, but it all begins with our relationship with Jesus, with praying, because if we all can spend time with Jesus Christ in prayer, we can open our hearts to hear the spirit of God speak to us and inspire us to do our little part, to light our little candle, um, like Sister Thea invites us all to do. And I want to, Kitty, if we have time, I want to take what, like, Father is talking about and put it in this framework of, like, our call to love. Mm -hmm. um, and it come, it goes back to that that really common saying of, you know, I don't see color. Like, what Father is asking and all of those really doable things he's just said, <laughs> those, are, those are solvable problems, okay? Go get you some art and put it up. I mean, my best, my college roommate, she has the images. I painted some self-portraits and those are hanging in her house. And her little children are like, who's the black girl on the wall, mama? You know, they don't even know her kids. <laughs> but those hang in her home. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, as I listen to him, those really solvable problems, those doable things that we can do, it means, like, kind of seeing our world in truth. And I think like, I can't say, you know, I cannot say in the same breath that I love you and, and then turn around and say, I don't see your color because that's a self-serving love, right? Love sees, love sees in its fullness, right? Think about how Jesus loves us. He said to St. Faustina, if I showed you the extent of your misery, you wouldn't be able to take it. I'm misquoting it. So instead I show you the extent of my mercy. So Jesus wasn't like, I don't see you. My love is blind. It's hallmark. Jesus was like, I see everything. And it's what, what it like gives the mercy, the depth of the mercy. That's what gives depth to the mercy is the fact that I see you. And so what he's talking about is us being willing to see ourselves as we are um, and not being afraid to do that. Because I think sometimes I believe people are good. 
That's where I'm going from. That's why I'm living. <laughs> I believe people are yes. I think it's just sometimes it's difficult for us to draw near to that pain, to draw near to that brokenness. Um, I think sometimes we think we won't make it through, uh, but we are going to make it. Um, and this is love. This is real love. If we can see ourselves in truth um, and look on ourselves, on our systems, on our schools, on our dioceses, on our parishes in truth and with integrity. Yeah, because Jesus Christ, like Sister Sam, I mean, like the Lord loves each and every single one of us so much and he thirsts for us. He sees us, he knows us, he loves us through and through. And if we can all like receive that love of God in the interior life, in prayer, and the time that we spend set apart with him, then the fruit of that is we will begin to see each other the way God sees our brothers and sisters. And we will want to know each other the way God wants to know us. And we will love each other, which is desiring the greatest good of the other person at St. Thomas Aquinas defines it. Um, because God has loved us and God has sacrificed. He's emptied himself in Philippians chapter two, St. Paul says he emptied himself. And I then would want to empty myself. Like as I think, I think, can I please just say this? I believe that as Catholics in America, we are not living the gospel according to Jesus Christ right now. We are not being disciples of Jesus Christ. We are being disciples of a false gospel in many cases and places and spaces because we want to be comfortable. Self gospel. Mm -hmm. Right. We want that which is going to make my life easy and I want health and I want wealth and I want respect and I want all this stuff. And I'm like, no, Jesus Christ says we want the cross. You pick up the cross. You want to be my disciple, pick up the cross and follow me. And I believe if we all began, and I'm not saying I'm doing this right now, I'll admit I am a mediocre disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a beloved son of the Father. I have no doubt about that. I know I'm loved. I'm not wounded in that way. So I don't need people to be like, no, Father Josh, you're lovable. I know I'm loved. However, I am mediocre at best right now in my discipleship. And the Lord is He's patient with me. And he, he's like drawing me to become a man. He's drawing me to, to, to grow and to mature in my relationship with him. But I believe if we were disciples of Jesus Christ according to the gospel, then we would all be empty ourselves and, and, and sacrificing for each other saying oh your, your child doesn't have a place in our school I will sacrifice and I will make room for your child to come to this school oh you can't afford health care I will sacrifice and, and while I'm working on the laws to become more just I'm going to pay for your health care mm -hmm. right I'm going to go out of myself and deny myself comfort for the sake of the body of Christ being consoled but honestly most of us aren't living the gospel of Jesus Christ and I'm just like, let's just call it what it is. <laughs> and if we're going to be honest, like there's some Catholics you'll see on social media that will respond to what Father Joshua just suggested and call him a communist. Right. Right. Yes. I mean, if you want real up on here, then yeah. yes. Yeah. Like it, it's, 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 uh, and that's the thing is like, we've got to be more rooted in the word of God than we are in blogs and in our political ideologies. Like, be rude. Like when I talk to people, I'm like, what, what, what are you reading? And they're like, oh, I'm reading this book, that book. And they never mention the Bible. I'm like, lean into the word of God. Like fast from all that stuff. Fast from that stuff and go to the Eucharist and go to the scriptures. And I guarantee you, he will change everything. Mm -hmm. he, will, he will rock our world. We're like, oh my gosh, this whole time I've been seeing things through the eyes of, of, of man and woman and not through the eyes of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, in this, the gospels are the story of Jesus going to people and seeing them fully in, in everything, in the mess and in the hurt and in the joy, right? And, and raising people from the dead and having a meal. And so it, it seems antithetical to, to say, oh, I'm Catholic, I'm Christian, I go to mass on Sunday, but I don't, I don't love brown people, I don't love black people, I don't love people of color as much as I love people of my own color, as much as I love a white person. Um, that's just, there's cognitive dissonance that has to happen if you say that, right? The, the two don't fit. Um, I, I'm loving what you're saying. I'm convicted. Like I want to, 
I want to go make a sign and go stand in front of the courthouse and everybody on the street see it. But you also said, Father, that there's charisms here, right? People respond in different ways. And I think it's yes. important to highlight those charisms. There's There's been a lot of chatter, I think, on, I mean, everything plays out on social media right now where it's, well, you have to make a post or you have to go to a protest or you have to, and, and it's like the, the have to is you have to love. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to show forth. You have to, you have to pray, like practically love right. and manifest it in time with Jesus. Yeah, and that's there's first. A pre- there's, there's a priest up north. Um, I don't know his name, but he has a parish where they have a beautiful pro-life ministry, anti-abortion ministry. And it's beautiful. And what they do is, is based on the people's charism, they will all come together on Saturday and they will have people of the charism of hospitality will make the parish center like super beautiful and like welcoming. And then they will have the intercept people, the charism of intercessory prayer to, to go in the blessed sacrament chapel and each take a couple of hours to pray before the sacrament. And the people of the charism of evangelization, they go out to the abortion clinic and they have the people of the charism of, of help. They go with them and then people of the charism of, and so all these different people have these different charisms. Um, some people are cooking for, for, you know, for everybody while, while they're out there working all day, trying to like save lives and, and bring people hope. Then you come back and then people have made meals for them and, and, and everyone comes together, but each person was a part of that pro-life movement, that ministry, but based on what their charism was. And I think mm-hmm. that it's really important for all of us to get to know like what part of the body of Christ is the Lord inviting me to be in this, for this evil, for the evil of, of racism? Is he calling me to be a, an intercessor? Is he calling me to be a social media poster um, who posts on social media all the time or a, a Twitter, a Twitter person, right? Um, is he calling me to be someone who's going out there working with people in the law? Is he calling me to host a Bible study that is intentionally diverse? Um, is he calling me like, so we have to like find out what's my role because we all have a role in the body of Christ and we're all called to collaborate with each other to bring about the civilization of love that God wants and to um, bring about unity in the body of Christ that again, right now, there's a demonic stronghold of our nation and disunity is the norm in the body of Christ and that is not of God. It is not, and, and disunity is spread over and over. And now we're talking about race, but there's all kinds. You could do a whole season on disunity in the church, Katie. Um, mm-hmm. I think you really could, like the ways that we divide ourselves. I just want to encourage listeners too, like, because again, I think people, um, they wanted, they wanted for the most part, want to do the good thing and the right thing. And so I, I think, you know, it's going to be awkward to go out there and be like, how do I, how do I bring other people to the, this table? Or how do I bring people to my Bible study or this ministry event? How do I ask? And it not look like I'm just trying to go get me a token person of color and, you know, and then I'm guilty about that. And I'm stumbling over my words, just stumble over your words, you know, and if you encounter somebody who uh, just be yourself, be, be, we're all a hot mess. So just be that and try and stumble over your words. And if you're met with somebody who um, is offended, you know, that you're asking, can you come because your your color is a gift? Know that like, we're all working through a lot of stuff. And so don't let that, don't be dismayed, disheartened. Mm-hmm. Keep asking, keep trying, like don't give up at the one if it doesn't go the way that you had hoped. Um, so I just want to add that. I yeah. love that. I, I think there comes a point where we do begin to stumble as we get older and as we experience the world. I, I used to go to the library with Rose and it was always on the same Wednesday and this mom and her little boy would always be there and Rose and the little boy would play and the mom and I would never talk. We would just like, you know, nod at each other and smile, but she would sit at the table with her, her library issued computer and I would sit and, you know, be on my phone or read a book. 
Um, and a few months in, she just let me know, hey, he's starting a new school next fall, so we won't be here on Wednesdays. And that's when I realized we'd both been planning our trips to the library <laughs> for our kids to play together. So he a little black boy, my daughter a little white girl, but yet we never became friends because it was mm -hmm. almost like there was this, I was scared, well, she's not going to want to be friends with me, but also, well, I don't know if I have anything in common with her. I mean, she's using a library-issued computer. We come from different different worlds, right? And and it it troubles me. Like, it's kept me up at night, the friendship that I lost out on there because our kids loved each other and loved playing together. And we never made that, I never made that jump because I was scared to stumble over my words. So I love that encouragement, sister, stumble and, and yeah. be uncomfortable because people of color have been uncomfortable for a very long time. So it's, yeah. it's okay if I'm uncomfortable to try to heal these wounds and to, to form this unity. Here at the end then, I want to give you each just a chance to, to continue to preach some truth um, from, your, from your charisms, which are, I've been very blessed by your friendship, but also by your wisdom. Um, just what do you want people to know? I mean, you've said very much, I think, what you want people to know. But as people are listening to this, sometimes people jump to the end of podcasts and just listen to the nuggets at the end. I mean, I do that sometimes with the daily because I just want the good stuff at the end. But I hope everybody listens to this one all the way through. But here at the end, what's your convicting What's your convicting words to, to compel us and to, to drive us to that reconciliation, to seeing the world in truth, to, to, to really allow ourselves to work through that bias and that prejudice for healing? Um, I'll go first, okay? Satan wants fear to prevail. That's what's in this. Satan wants fear to prevail. Um, you know, I'll be, I won't tell this whole story, but I remember once I found myself on a bridge with a boy who was about to kill himself. He was a young white man. I'm standing there. I'm a black woman, a nun. The cop who pulled up to help us was a Latino man. All three of us were terrified because um, this kid had a knife on his hip. Mm. That cop had a gun on his hip. And I just don't want anybody to get hurt. Um, and I will never forget. It was such a lesson to me to have to grapple with the level of fear that I had. Um, because I didn't know this young man, I wanted to help him, but I was so afraid of what I didn't know. I didn't know that cop, and I wanted to trust him, but I was so afraid of what I didn't know. And so that cop was not my enemy. That young boy was not my enemy. Satan is the enemy. <clears throat> Satan is the enemy, and I want us to remember that. And I also want to say, you know, I've, I've made myself, like, sit through uh, the, the death and murder of George Floyd. I think that we have to face, you know, we have to face and so which, one of the things that struck me was where was the heroic virtue? Mm. Um, our world needs heroic virtue. Mm. Um, people saw him suffering. People saw the struggle. Where was the heroic virtue? Um, so I just want us to remember, we've got these invitations all day mm. long, um, the call to holiness and the call to sanctity and ultimately heroic virtue. And our world needs it. And our enemy is Satan. It's beautiful, sister. You're such a gift. Um, I would encourage people, I guess, if I had one message to say, it'd be like, like sister is saying that this is a spiritual battle and we cast out these kind of demons through prayer and fasting. And so I would really encourage all of us to not just fast during Lent, but fast um, throughout the year and specifically fast from speaking. Like really try that practice, the custody of the tongue and 
the prayer I would encourage you to, to, to practice is a prayer that is hundreds and hundreds of years old. It's Lexio Divina with the sacred scriptures so that we can really come to know Jesus because the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will begin to put on the mind of Christ and fill with his heart and act with his body. Um, to really, uh, and then if we, the way we pray, I believe affects the way that we live. And so if in my prayer, if I'm intentionally trying to read the scripture and meditate on what it says to me and have a conversation with Jesus about what it says to me and sit in silence with Jesus for a while uh, without moving on to something else. Uh, and then coming up with some kind of resolution. If the way I pray is that, then that's how my prayer will affect the way I, I interact with people. And I'll be able to fast from speaking a lot with people and I'll be able to listen to people talk um, who are different from me. And I can, I can apply those steps of Lexio Divina, not only to my relationship with Jesus, but also to with the body of Jesus Christ and with other brothers and sisters who are made the image of God. I can apply Lexio Divina and really listen well to their stories and bring them to Christ in prayer, to Jesus before the Eucharist or wherever I'm able to pray at. And, and I will be able to hear Jesus speak to me um, in his own will, way, and time of how he wants me to respond to this person who's made in his image, to walk with this person, to accompany this person, um, not only on earth, but toward eternity, toward toward the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, it's, it's prayer and fast. Prayer and fast is what I would say um, is the message that I hope people get from this. Well, on that note, Father, will you pray us out? <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> um, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and we praise you for the gift of this day, for the gift of our lives, for the gift of Sister Josephine, for the gift of Katie, for my, my life, Lord. I'm so grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ and the ways in which he has drawn each one of us uniquely and individually into a personal living, vital relationship with him and with his entire church. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, I ask that you send forth your Holy Spirit upon each one of us and just conform us in our minds and in our hearts and our bodies to that of Jesus Christ. Blessed Mother, wrap us in your mantle of love and protect us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, wrap us in your cloak. St. Michael, the archangel, guard us with your shield against any um, just the temptations from the enemy, um, any discouragement, any despair, uh, any division. Uh, from the father of lies, protect us from, from those, uh, those attacks of the enemy so that we can keep our eyes fixed on the face of Jesus um, in, our, in, in our own relationship with Jesus so that we can continue to hear him speak to us in his word, inscribe the sacred scriptures and, and the other many ways he communicates his grace to us so that we can respond, Father, that we could be the saints who respond by your grace and in your name and your power. We could be the saints of this generation who respond to this evil, this evil of Satan, this evil of racism, that we could be the saints that you are calling, you have raised up in this particular time and space and place in history to fight this demon, to take down this demon by the grace of God as the saints of this generation who you have created for this time this time, Lord. And so we say yes. We say yes to you again and again. We ask that you protect us and you help us to persevere, most importantly, in our relationship with you so that we can watch you, Father, so that we can watch you fight this battle by our yes. We ask this prayer, Heavenly Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, on God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. 
May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Katie, you, your sister's a can can lawyer. Can you ask if I can give blessings over? Um, I was just about to say, I'm going to have to check with my personal uh, my <laughs> well, look, personal I, JC. I, I have two seminarians right over there. So if you didn't go to y'all, like, it, it it's somebody. to them. It somebody. Yeah, so. <laughs> somebody got it. And our listeners, I think, um, I will double check with the canonist who's coming I, over for pizza tonight. <laughs> let, let, like, text me and let me know. because like, I, 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 I will. I really need to know. <laughs> we had a debate not long ago about the you know zoom confession because obviously like you have to be in person and you have yeah. to so we i mean it went all the way into can you hear confession through a car window and you know with a phone <laughs> our family is weird right like i want to have conversations about systemic racism and she wants to tell me what canon laws do and don't apply <laughs> to certain situations but hopefully the church is served so thank you both so very much for thank you. for thank joining you. us um we'll have all of the contact information for folks down in the show notes uh, to find you both. I think at certain moments in the course of our human history, we're, we're given the opportunity to really confront things and to learn. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to learn from and to talk with Sister Josephine and Father Josh, who gave us such great insights and wisdom, especially about working within our charisms to do this hard work of, of changing the world which is so necessary for the unity of the body of Christ to which we are all called. I'd ask that you check out the resources that Father and Sister gave to me as a, a list of, of how to do the work in fighting against the injustice of racism in our world today, books and recommendations of things to listen to and things to watch. We, of course, also have more resources over on AveMariaPress.com in our Faith in Action series, articles, videos, podcasts, challenges, showcase pieces on men and women who are living out uh, the job of doing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy in the world today. We're really proud of this series, and to be quite honest, the Holy Spirit's got a great sense of timing that we're doing this series now at a moment when the world needs to be talking about how to love one another, how to serve one another, how to go to the, the very margins of society and love and work for change. This podcast, I, I think, is, is this season one that I'm very proud of because of the people that we're visiting with and talking to, this episode being one of my favorites, of course, and I'm glad you've listened. As always, we'd be grateful for a rating and a review so that this podcast can continue to, to reach more people. Um, you can, of course, find all of our old episodes from seasons one through four on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as well as the Ave Maria Press website. Just click on to the Ave Explores link on the sidebar, and you'll find everything there. You know, it's, it's a real privilege to get to have these conversations, and, and I hope that you see it as a, a great gift to be able to listen to them and to learn from them. You know, Sister Thea Bowman, who was referenced a couple of times in this conversation, talks about lighting our candle and, and truly bringing light to the world. And so this week, perhaps, spend some time asking for her intercession and for the intercession of others who can help us bring that light into the world. St. Josephine Bakita, Father Augustus Tolton, Pierre Toussaint, Thea Bowman, pray for us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>